Yeah, I am so stoked about baptism and picnic next week. If you've not yet been baptized or you know someone who hasn't been baptized yet, have them talk to Pastor John out in the lobby on the way out. We'd love to dunk you next week because baptism is such an incredible experience of the gospel. You get to go under the water just like Christ went into the grave. And I'll only hold you under there a half second longer than you were expecting just so you can experience the death of Christ because then I'll pull you back up so you can experience new life in Christ. It's such an amazing experience that we get to celebrate as a church family. So come join us, bring some food, bring some friends. We're just going to enjoy the afternoon together. Um, what an amazing time of worship we've had so far this morning. I just love our worship team. Can we just give our thanks to our worship team? They work so hard all week long, and they're so prayerful, so thoughtful as they put together the songs that we're going to sing, and then so worshipful as we sing it together. I'm, I'm just so encouraged every Sunday. But I do have to tell you about the best worship service that I've ever been to. It was amazing. It was a two-hour worship service. Everybody was standing the entire time. Everybody had their hands raised the entire time. Everybody was singing along to every song, even though there weren't any words on the screen. Nobody needed them. Everybody knew every song by heart. Uh, on the fast songs, everybody was dancing, going crazy. On the slow songs, people were meditating. I even saw some people weeping. Here's the thing. This worship service didn't take place in a church. It took place at Aloha Stadium. And the people that we were there to see, it wasn't a worship band. It was a rock band. And people weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping the rock gods up on stage. And I loved every minute of it. It was amazing until I got to the end and I thought, I might have a little problem with idolatry in my heart. I love this a little too much. Maybe you think that worshiping idols means bowing down before statues. That's the definition that you've got in your head. Well, I've been to parts of the world where everybody does that, where, where everybody literally bows down before statues. I was in one of those places a couple of years ago. I was meeting with the leader of a house church movement there, looking at partnering together. And he wanted to take me around, show me the culture. And so he took me to a temple where everybody was bowing down before statues, before idols. And after that, he took me back to his church and we spent some time talking and then praying. And as we were praying, I prayed that the people of his country would be rescued from their idols. Then it was his turn to pray. You know what he prayed? He prayed that people from my country would be rescued from our idols. Because he knew that we worship idols just the same as they do there. We worship artists and musicians, right? We'll sacrifice hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars sometimes to go fly somewhere to see them in concert. We worship sports. We'll sacrifice a day a week from September through January, right? Two days if you're a college fan. We'll give apart that whole time for our sports teams. We worship our bodies. We'll sacrifice time and money and tears to make them look just right. We worship our appetites. We'll sacrifice whatever it takes to get the best sushi, the best hot pot, the best steak, the best cocktails, whatever it is we're looking for, we'll sacrifice anything to get it. We bow down before all kinds of idols. Why do we do that? Because we think 
they'll serve us. We think they'll give us what we need and desire. But over time, what ends up happening? We end up serving our idols. We end up sacrificing so much for them. We end up trapped in self-destructive habits because we are worshiping our idols. God wants to rescue us from that. God wants to rescue us from that trap. And today we're going to see how he accomplishes that. So let's pray, and we'll dive into his word. Father, thank you for such an incredible time of worship this morning, like we have every single week that we come together. It's so clear that your spirit is present when two or more are gathered together because we sense the movement of your spirit in us and among us. And now, Lord, we pray that your spirit would continue moving deep into our hearts. Show us the idols that we worship and free us from the slavery of sacrifice that we have to those idols. Free us to live life to the full like your son Jesus came to give us. Thank you for his perfect life, brutal death, and glorious resurrection, and loving reign. Thank you for Jesus coming to free us from the things that ensnare us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So if you got your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. We started working through this book last spring. We took a little break for the month of August. Now we're diving back in. And if you remember, Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Corinth because these people were a mess. You remember that? Just a mess. Crazy conflict in the church. Really disturbing sin in the church. Shocking arrogance all around the church. But what Paul's going to show us today is that underneath all of that evident sin is a lot more, less obvious sin. A lot more quiet and subtle and, and invisible sin. It's the sin of idolatry. Look at what he says in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. What does that tell you? That there's a lot of brothers and sisters who are unaware. Lots of Christians who've known Jesus for years, maybe even decades, who are unaware of the truth bomb that Paul's going to drop on us in this chapter. What is it? That our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. He's given a little history lesson here, reminding us how God rescued the Israelites from slavery by leading them with a cloud. He took them through the Red Sea. He provided everything they needed for the whole journey, and all of that was pointing forward to the deliverance and the provision of Christ. Nevertheless, verse 5, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Yeah, most of them didn't really love God, didn't really appreciate God, didn't want to follow God. They didn't even want to be with God in the promised land. They didn't really want to be with him. And so God had to leave them behind in the wilderness. Why? Verse 6, these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. These things were true events that took place. They really happened. 
And God allowed them to happen. He ordained them to happen so that we could learn some lessons from what happened. And what did God want us to learn? What does he want us to learn from them? Well, what did Paul say? He wants us to learn not to desire things like they did. Not to desire things. And that word desire in the Greek, it really should be translated super desire. It's not just a small little desire you've got for like chocolate at 10 o'clock at night. Not like that kind of desire. This is a super desire. It's a desire for something that gets so strong that it just consumes you. You can't be happy without that thing. You can't imagine life without that thing. And Paul says that thing is an idol. Verse 7, don't become idolaters as some of them were. And here's what their idolatry looked like as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to party. They had desires that became super desires. They sat down to eat and drink, but pretty soon that turned into drunkenness and gluttony. Some people don't just want a drink, they want five drinks. Some people don't just want a steak, they need a 45-ounce tomahawk steak, the best of the best, the biggest of the big. These are super desires, and that's just one example for things like food and drink. But there are other super desires that we have for things like sexual experiences. Verse 8, let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Yeah, that's when a, a healthy desire for sexual intimacy inside of marriage becomes a super desire for sexual experiences wherever we can get them. On a website, on FaceTime, in the flesh. A healthy desire becomes a super desire. Or here's another one. Another kind of super desire is for things to happen on our timeline. Verse 9, let us not test Christ as some of them did. And we're destroyed by snakes test Christ. Remember, God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. He brought them across the wilderness on their way to the promised land. But some of them said, most of them said, God, you're not delivering us fast enough. You're not getting us to the promised land fast enough. And so they tried to force things. They put God to the test. And when God didn't pass their test, they started complaining. Verse 10, don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Oh, man. And now Paul has caught every single one of us in this room. Now he's got all of us. Because before this, maybe you're going, well, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not an adulterer. I'm okay. Paul's like, yeah, you, you might be okay, but, but let me ask you, you ever complain about anything? You ever grumble under your breath about anything? You're like, oh, only every five minutes, you know? Isn't that us? Guess what? Whenever we complain about anything, anything in life, what we're saying to God is, you're not doing a very good job at running my life. I think I could do way better at running this world and running my life than you do, God. That's what the Israelites were saying. So it says in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. And so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. You think you're standing strong, but you're actually teetering on the edge of a cliff about to fall. 
about to fall into sin, about to fall into judgment. And maybe you can already see that. Maybe you see an area in your life where you don't have control anymore. Gravity, the gravity of your sin is starting to take you off of the edge of the cliff. You're about to fall, but maybe you're going, man, I, I just don't know any other way. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the kind of conflict I'm dealing with in my marriage. You don't know the kind of stress I'm dealing with at work. You don't know the kind of exhaustion I have dealing with my kids. Nobody really understands what I'm going through. I know it feels that way. But look at what Paul says in verse 13. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that you're dealing with that hundreds, thousands, millions of other people haven't already faced. It's common to humanity. But then look at this. But God is faithful. I know you're dealing with some really hard things, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. We'll come back to this in a minute, but I want you to catch the progression here. We go to idols because the things that we're facing in life just make us feel like, man, this stress, this anxiety, this exhaustion, this conflict, I, I got to find some way to deal with it, and we think our idols will help us deal with it. We think our idols will serve us. And instead, we end up serving them. We end up doing things for our idols that we never would have considered before. Every sin you commit from sexual immorality to substance abuse to gluttony to impatience and bitterness and grumbling, all of those happen because you are an idolater. This right here. This is what so many people are unaware of, just completely unaware. Because most people, I think even most Christians, when we look at sin, we see it as something that, that gets on us that we can kind of brush off when we need to. We, we, we can wash ourselves, get clean of that sin. Kind of like, I don't know, if you're walking through a grass field and you step in a mud puddle that you couldn't see just all over your shoe, and you're like, oh, man, I just bought these shoes. Are you kidding me? So you go home, and you have to scrub and get all the mud off of every surface of your shoe. We think sin is kind of like that. But you know what Paul's saying? Sin is exactly the opposite of that. It doesn't primarily come from the outside. The mud comes from the inside. It comes from our heart comes from your desires, your ambitions, your, your loves. And some of those are really good things. I mean, you love your husband or your wife. You love the idea of a future husband or wife. You love your kids. You love your career. You love your career path leading forward into the future. You love your house. You love your car. You love your body. You love your face. You love your hair. You love your dog. You love your favorite influencer. You love your movies and your music and your sports teams, and all those are good things. The problem is, 
when good things become gods. That's when they're idols that start controlling us. They drive us and define us. They, they keep demanding more of our time and our money and our energy. And family, God wants us to be free from all that. Don't you want to be free from all that? I heard one yes. That's, that's encouraging. I want you to be free from all that. Paul wants you to be free from all that. So how are we going to be free from all that? How are we going to escape from these idols that control us? Here's how. Number one, identify your idols. Identify your idols. Paul said in verse one, don't be unaware. Don't be unaware of who you're really worshiping. The Israelites thought they were worshiping God. They were actually worshiping idols. And the result is that only two of the adults who left Egypt for the promised land actually made it to the promised land. Did you know that? Only two. Our idols destroy us. That's why we got to identify the idols that we worship. Last week, I asked a couple questions that might help you identify your treasure in life. Like, if I only had blank, then I would be happy. Or on the flip side, if I ever lost blank, then I would be miserable. Maybe that wasn't quite enough for you. I'll give you a couple more. Answer this. I dream about blank. This is what gets me excited. This is what wakes me up in the morning. What is that? Or try this one. I worry about blank. This is what I'm most afraid of. This is my worst nightmare. Or how about I brag about blank. This is what I'm most proud of in life. Whatever you fill in the blank with, that is your treasure. That's what you treasure. And guess what, family? If you filled in that blank with anything other than Jesus, then that thing is an idol. That's something you're worshiping that's never going to fulfill you the way you're hoping. Paul just told us about four different kinds of idols that the Israelites worshipped. We still worship them today. There's the idol of experiences, right? The best food, the best drink, the best party, the best travel destinations. There's the idol of pleasure, sexual immorality of all kinds. There's the idol of impatience, forcing God to work on your timeline. And then there's the idol of control, complaining when God doesn't work on your timeline. There's all kinds of idols that we worship, and there's plenty more. Let me give you a few more. There's the idol of family. Did you know family can be an idol? Absolutely. Depending on your spouse, depending on your kids to give you everything you think you need in life. There's the idol of politics, believing that a political party or a political leader is going to make everything better. There's the idol of religion. Yeah, religion. Depending on a set of rules to give you your identity. Rules that go way beyond Scripture. That's religion. There's the idol of comfort. Doing whatever it takes to have a certain quality of life. There's the idol of approval. Fearing what other people think. Doing whatever it takes to make everybody around you happy. These are the idols that are underneath all of our sins. You didn't just cheat on your spouse. You didn't just lie. You didn't just fall into porn. You worshiped an idol. You idolized experiences or relationships, and, and that led you to be sexually immoral. 
You didn't just steal from your company. You didn't just cheat on your taxes. You idolized money and, and possessions. And so that led you to fudge a few numbers because you're greedy and dishonest. You didn't just lie to your friends. You didn't just lie to your boss. You worshiped an idol of approval. And so that led you to change a little detail in one little conversation, but that forced you to change a few more details in subsequent conversations, which then forced you to tell a string of bald-faced lies. So here's my question to you. How'd that all work out for you? How'd that all work out for you? My guess is not so well. My guess is it made a mess of things for you. And if that hasn't happened yet, just wait a year or two because it doesn't take very long for the effects of sin to be felt. That's the lesson that Paul wants us to learn from the Israelites, that our idols never deliver on what they promise. Never. They ruin us. They ruin our souls. They ruin our lives. And so God wants to free us from all that. You'd be like, all right, okay. Just got to step away from my idols. Roger that. All right, I can do that. I'll just, I'll just take a few steps back from my idols. I'll, I'll just make sure that my idols aren't having too much influence on me. That's what I'll do. Paul's like, okay, that's, that's a good first step. But that's not going to be enough. If you want to fully escape from your idols, then number two, you also got to hate your idols. You can't just step away. you got to hate your idols because your idols are way more evil than you think, way more insidious than you think, way more powerful than you think. Look what he says in verse 15. I'm speaking as the sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. Yeah, you're not unaware anymore. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Did you notice the word that Paul repeated there three times? The word one. One, one, one. You are one with God, one with his family, and so the idols that you worship are ripping you away from God and his family. This is really, really serious. Verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Yet when the Israelites worshiped at the altar, they were all in at the altar. In fact, one of the Hebrew words for worship has the idea of weight, weightiness. The things that we worship, we assign a weightiness to them. And we think they're so weighty that we feel like we can put all of our weight on them. We use these things to, to prop us up. And here's why those things can seem like they really could support our weight. Verse 19, what am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, these, these things are meaningless, the things that we are worshiping. No, they don't mean anything. But, verse 20, I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Your idols, yeah, they're meaningless. They're not even real. But the power behind your idols is very 
very real. It is Satan and his forces. Family, I want you to look at me right now because Paul is saying something really crucial right here. He is saying that when we sacrifice to our idols, whatever our idols might be, we are actually sacrificing to demons. We're literally making sacrifices to demons. He says we are participants with demons. Literally in the Greek, he says we have koinonia with a demon. We are fellowshipping with a demon. Happy Labor Day, by the way. Light, fluffy weekend. Thought I'd bring you down a little bit. God wants to drill deep into our hearts because he knows that we want to keep things light and fluffy all the time. I know what you're saying right now. I know what you're saying inside right now. You're saying, wait a minute. You're saying, if I just get a little too ambitious at work, if I just get a little too obsessed about that new car that I really, really want, if I just get a little too anxious about the, the bank balance statement that I get in the mail, you're saying that I'm fellowshipping with a demon? Yeah, that's exactly what Paul's saying. I mean, in Ephesians, Paul says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. In other words, Satan controls everything in this world that hasn't submitted itself to Christ. And that's so much that it's in this world that it's like the air. It's everywhere, just like air. And you're breathing it in all the time. You're breathing in the influence of Satan every second, just like you're breathing in air every second. And so whatever idol it is that's influencing you, money, control, approval, experience, family, comfort, whatever idol it is, that's actually a demon controlling you. Now, I'm not about to get all Pentecostal on you, okay? I'm not going to bring you up on stage and cast out the demon of addiction on you. Don't worry. I'm not going off that edge. But I am trying to wake you up to the fact that the idols you worship are evil. Evil. And that's because I want you to hate your idols just as much as God does. Last week, what did we hear Jesus say in Matthew? He said, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Guess what? When Matthew wrote that, he didn't use the Greek word for money. That's a different word. He said, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is the name of the ancient Chaldean god of wealth. So what's Jesus saying? When you're pursuing money and stuff, when you're worshiping things in this world, you're not just pursuing some impersonal object. You are worshiping a supernatural being. You're fellowshipping with a demon. You're sitting down to dinner with a demon. And what does Paul say? You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. You can't fellowship with God and with a demon at the same time. You just can't. It's like brushing your teeth with mint toothpaste and then rinsing with lemonade. Anybody ever tried that? I have. Camping trip, the only liquid I had with me was a bottle of Minute Maid lemonade. I'm like, oh, all right, I guess it's going to have to work. Brush my teeth 
rinsed with the lemonade, and I almost puked. It was so disgusting. The worst thing I've ever had in my mouth at once. You cannot worship God and a demon. You cannot fellowship with God and a demon at the same time. They can't go together. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you understand that. You want to escape from your idols, but you're like, okay, what do I do now? I, I can't just back away from my idols. I know that. I, I can't just put guardrails around to, to manage my idols. I know that. How do I escape from my idols? Number three, you got to flee from your idols. Flee from your idols. That's what Paul told us back in verse 13. 13 and 14. Go back to verse 13. He said, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. And so then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. You can flee from idolatry because God will give you a way out. God will not allow you to be tempted with something that he doesn't also provide a way out from. He will provide a way out. And family, this would have been such good news to the Corinthians, living in the culture that they did. Such an idolatrous culture, greedy culture, hypersexualized culture. Sometimes it feels like there's no escape from the bad habits that destroy us and consume us. But Paul says there is. He says, with the temptation, God will provide the way out. You were like, okay, so what is the way out? What is that way out? Well, what was the way in? What was the way in? You started desiring something. You loved that thing. You depended on that thing. You put all of your weight on that thing. The way in was to worship some idol. And so the way out is to worship God, to love God, depend on God, put all your weight on God. Worship God. That's the way out because that's what you were created to do. You're created to be a worshiper, worshiper. And so if you don't raise your hands in worship to Jesus, you'll raise your hands for a sports team, for an artist, for a musician, for a politician. If you don't cheer for Jesus, you'll cheer for the new season of your favorite TV series. You'll cheer for the sequel to your favorite movie. You're going to worship something. We always do. You'll either worship good things that become gods or you'll worship the one true God. That's the choice you have. The one true God is good and loving and compassionate, and the demons behind your idols aren't. Paul said it. God is faithful. And so the way to flee from your idols is to lean into his faithfulness. Lean into the faithfulness of Jesus. Lean into the, the wisdom of Jesus. You'll find it in his word. Lean into the presence of Jesus. You'll find it in prayer. Lean into the compassion of Jesus. You'll find it in his family. Lean into Jesus. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus and they shudder, but that doesn't change anything about their lives. I've met so many people who believe in Jesus, but they're still slaves to these self-destructive habits and 
still slaves to these idols that consume them and control them. The problem, family, isn't that we don't believe. The problem is that we don't treasure. The problem is that we don't truly worship. We don't love Jesus and appreciate Jesus and desperately depend on Jesus. So the way to escape your idols is to lean into Jesus. How are you going to do that this week? Let's pray together. Father, this is a really weighty topic for a light, fun holiday weekend. Thank you for that. Thank you for loving us so much that you won't let us stay light and superficial and fluffy. Thank you that you won't let us keep worshiping our idols of comfort and pleasure and copacetic life. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us so that we could be rescued from the idols that control us and destroy us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that we have in Jesus. Now, make us desperately dependent on Jesus so we can escape from our idols and experience true life, life to the full through him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.